0: It's a true story. I was uh, walked down to uh, Kmart department store or Kmart store last night to get a couple of things. It was a beautiful uh, late afternoon and I was walking along down there and I got to thinking, you know, um, thinking about today and uh, the, the responsibility that I have to, to be your pastor and preacher. And I was just thinking, I wonder, uh, you know, does preaching, really does the sermons, do the sermons make any difference in anybody's life? I mean, you can preach Sunday after Sunday, and I don't know how many hundreds of sermons I've preached since I started when I was 18. I was just walking along there kind of thinking, I wonder if any of those sermons really make that much difference in the way people live. And. this morning a lady came up to me and she said, we watch you on Sunday night and we needed, we've been needing what you've been saying about Joseph. It's just what we needed. And so God just kind of confirmed that what you do when you preach His Word does not return void. And it kind of gave a little encouragement. Well, we're studying the life of Joseph. I want to ask you a question now on a scale of one to 10. How affirming are you? That is, how, how positive are you? How supportive are you of other people? On a scale of one to ten, would you kind of put that down somewhere? How affirming are you? Positive and supporting are you of others? The Apostle Paul says that there are two extremes in life that, by which we can measure our affirming nature. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how affirming are you to those who are uh, for the want of a better word, afflicted, that is, who are not so winsome and attractive, who are not very responsive, who are oftentimes depressed and sometimes seem thankless. How affirming, encouraging are you of those? Um uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about weeping with those who weep. Uh, are you, uh, do you do that? Do you weep with those who weep? Do you empathize with them and feel with them and uh, support them in their, in their need in that time? Uh, in the 12th century, uh, a man by the name of uh, St. Francis of Assisi wrote a poem, this was his prayer, it says, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hate, may I bring love. Where offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring union in place of discard. Truth replacing error. Faith, where once there was doubt. Hope for despair. Light, where there was darkness. Joy, to replace sadness. Make me not to so crave to be loved as to love. Help me to learn that in giving I may receive and in forgetting self I may find life eternal. What he was saying was, Lord, I want you to help me affirm those who are afflicted. On a scale of one to 10, how are you at that? Okay, on a scale of one to 10, how affirming are you to those who have been promoted, that is, to those who in the eyes and minds of the world are successful, to those people who have everything, I mean, looks and voice like that, and personality and charm and position and and honor and, and, and ability and wealth. How affirming are you of those? I mean, positive and encouraging are you of those? You know, I was just thinking the other day, we talk about all the time about how we need to uh, not discriminate against those who are less fortunate than us. And we're always talking about how we need to, to care for the poor and the, and the disenfranchised and the, and the uh, homeless and how we ought to reach out to those people. You know, and it just occurred to me, and I believe this is true, I want you to watch this, that probably, you know, we're pretty good at that at First Baptist Church, really. Now, we've got a reputation, perhaps, among some folks that we're kind of stuck up and uh, snobbish. I don't believe that. I mean, you come up here on Friday afternoon and watch those people come to this medical clinic and see those loving people reach out to them, and I can't believe that that we're um, a bunch of snobs. I don't believe our problem is that we don't, Relate well or reach out enough or care enough about those who are less fortunate than we. I think our problem is we don't know how to relate to those who are more fortunate than we. I think there's a kind of a reverse discrimination, really. I mean, we feel so uncomfortable with the people who have charm and ability and wealth and success. Uh, that, that really we don't know how to relate to them. I mean, on a scale of one to 10, how do you relate to those who have been promoted? Are you affirming to them? And I don't believe we'll ever be a church, really, a body of, of unity and utility until we are able to feel as ho- at home with those who, have, who are more fortunate as we do with those who are less, less fortunate. Now, I'm going to give you an example or an illustration. I want you to turn to the fourth chapter of Philippians before we get to Genesis 41. And in this fourth chapter of Philippians, that little epistle over the New Testament, Paul talks about his days of difficulty. <clears throat> he talks about the two extremes of his life, the times when he rejoiced and the times when he wept. And during those times, in these two extremes in his life, the church at Philippi was there to affirm him and to encourage him and to support him. I mean, in the two extremes of weeping and rejoicing, the Philippians were there to support him. Now look at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that at last you have, received your, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from what, for I have learned to be content with whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to, to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Now, it's easy for me to picture tonight the Apostle Paul in need. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't have any problem with that, getting a, getting my mental, getting a mental picture of this, this Apostle you know, with nothing to wear, nothing to eat, no place to stay. I mean, I, I have no problem seeing him in need, but I do have a problem picturing him in a penthouse in plenty. That's just exactly what he said. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not, he said, I know what it means to be in want, to be in need, and I know what it means to live in abundance, with, in prosperity, to be wealthy, to be full, to have everything I want. And I don't know how to picture him that way, really. You know why? Because to us, it's real spiritual to be hurting, and to be in, in need, we you know we 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 don't have a bit of problem believing that a guy's real spiritual when he's in want or need or or hurting, but it is kind of unspiritual to us for a person to have everything he wants, to be successful, to be wealthy, to have looks and charm and personality and all those things. You see, now, where'd we ever get that idea? I've heard, I could put. On one hand, count on one hand the number of sermons I've ever heard in defense of affluence. And I know there are books that are on every shelf that just uh, you know, just take in after affluence and wealth. And verse 18, Apostle Paul talks about this boy, this man Epaphroditus, who was an encouragement to him and a firmer to him, both in the times of his need and in the times of his affluence. Now, we're getting ready to do Genesis chapter 41. I want you to picture tonight Joseph. Now, it's not going to be hard for you to picture him with an with a, um, Egyptian uh, headpiece and a long flowing Egyptian robe, but I want you to picture him like that. I want you to picture him in a two-piece suit, sitting at the end of the pew where you're sitting in a in 1984 evangelical church. I want to see if you can relate to this man and you can affirm him in his promotion. Now, at the very first of his life, he'd make our prayer list. We'd be real concerned about him. I mean, his own family uh, rejected him and he just got all kinds of abuse and rejection. He was sold as a slave to a foreign land and there he had to learn a new culture and a new language. He was just an outcast. And so on our prayer list, we're going to put Joseph. Joseph, 17 years old, betrayed by his brothers, rejected by his family in a foreign land where he's never been, a language that he doesn't know, people he's never met. Poor old Joseph. We got him on our prayer list. He gets a job as the head valet in Potiphar's house and Mrs. Potiphar lusts after him, desires him and he will have nothing of her advances and so she gets him thrown in in a dungeon. He's dumped in a dungeon. Now he makes the top of our prayer list. I mean, we can feel so sorry for him. We can affirm him. Come on, Joseph, we're going to encourage you, friend. And we got him on our prayer list and he's on everybody's Everybody sends him a prayer gram from the prayer room, and everybody's concerned about Joseph. But with a strange and interesting change of events, he suddenly is promoted to affluence. Now, he's in your church, 1984, 85, Evangelical Church, and this guy is promoted to the top position in the land. Now, you pick up with me in verse 41. Of chapter 41 it says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. I, by my word, have set you over all the land of Egypt. He has territorial authority. I have pronounced that you're the head over all of Egypt. Now, at that time, there was no nation that was anywhere close to Egypt in power and wealth except Babylon. It was a tremendous promotion. He has territorial authority. Look at verse 42. He has financial authority. It says in verse 42, Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen, linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. Now the word signet there, signet ring, in the Hebrew means to press down into. And it's the picture of one taking his ring and pressing it into wax. It was like a credit card. I mean, Joseph had Egypt's, had Potiphar's American Express card. He didn't leave home without it. And he had this American Express card in his hip pocket and wherever he went, and whatever he needed, all he had to do was to flash it. He had all of the wealth of Egypt at his disposal, and they put on this robe signifying authority and regality, and they put this gold necklace around his neck, and he comes into church and sits on the end of your pew. Now on a scale of one to 10, how you feel about this guy? I mean, he's there and you're not. He's successful and you're not. He's wealthy and you're not. He has the whole world at his feet and disposal and you don't. Look at verse 43. He had his own company car. Says that he was told to ride around in the second chariot. Now that was the limousine of his day, friend. I mean, the second chariot was like one of these big six-door limousines with flags on the fenders. And so here comes Joseph driving up out in front of First Baptist Church Durant with a big six-door limousine with with flags on the fenders. That happened not long ago. I had a wedding here in the chapel. Uh, Two people showed up out here and had a bodyguard and a chauffeur. I mean, they were dressed up like you see in the movies, you know. The bodyguard and the chauffeur had on their suits and cap. And they had a six-door limousine with these dark windows, you know, where you always wonder what's going on inside. And they came in to be married. The Folks over at the Durant Democrat saw them. They thought it was some movie star. The preacher was married, so they sent a, a, a photographer and a, and a newspaper man over. And this guy, this bodyguard, for fun, he said Crystal Gale was getting married. Boy, it sent them into orbit. I mean, they, they stopped the presses over there. To, and, 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 and he said, no, nah, they want to be uh, married in private. No, nope, they don't want any pictures or any interviews, et cetera. Well, there's some car salesman from Dallas, Texas, and this gal that I was marrying, but they did it up right. Let me tell you what. When, when, when you see a six-door limousine with flags on the fenders, you, you got to know that guy is different from you, right? That's exactly what he had. And besides all that, there were people walking in front of the chariot saying, okay, you guys, bow down to this man. On a scale of one to ten, how you feel about Joseph? Look at verse 44. It says... Moreover, said, uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Joseph, wow, look at this. Yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all of Egypt. I mean, a guy can't even raise his hand to be excused without your permission. Not raise his hand or his foot in all of Egypt without your permission. That's kind of, that's a little authority, wouldn't you say, a little power? F- follow with me. Then Joseph, then Pharaoh named Joseph Zephanath-Paneah. Now here's a guy with a name Joseph. He gets this kind of name. Oh, I thought, well, what a deal, you know. <laughs> What's wrong with Joseph? You get Zephanath-Paneah. And he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharo, pre- priest of On. She was a PK as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Notice that that little word, Nath, in the middle of Zaphnath paneah and at the end of his wife's name was the name of the goddess what was the name of the goddess of egypt now now watch this this, part, this pharaoh did not just elevate him to the place of authority in the land he almost he came within an inch of revering him as a god he came within an inch of revering him as a deity now here's this boy, 17 years old. Now he's 30 years old. Look at verse 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out, went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. I used to think that when you reached 30, you were over the hill. I mean, that was so old. But that's such a marvelously young age, 30. Let me let me say something to these guys down here and gals. The Bible is filled with young people that God has used. Uh, David was 20 years old, scarcely 20, when he became king, the glorious king, the greatest king Israel ever knew. Daniel was a teenager when Nebuchadnezzar elevated him to a place of authority in Babylon, a teenager. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. When he was 16, something happened in his heart and a revival began that changed the entire population. Mary wasn't 20 years old when she gave birth to the Son of God. Charles Spurgeon became a pastor of the London Tabernacle when he was 20. He built that church so that when he was 29, people stood in the snow at the doors waiting to get in to hear him preach. G. Campbell Morgan was 13 when he preached his first sermon. At the age of 23, they called him the Bible teacher of London. God has such a place for young people. I wouldn't want to pastor any church, other church, than this one. Well, all these college students and high school students, what an opportunity. And he was 30 years old, and he had this tremendous future ahead of him because God's hand was upon his life. I tell you, there's nothing more thrilling than that, to be young and to know that God's hand is on your life. There's nothing any greater than... It's better, than having a, it's better than being the most popular kid in school just to know that you're, you've got your whole life ahead of you and God has His hand on you. And God has chosen you. God has called you. And God has blessed you. What a thrill. Well, that's just free stuff. We'll go to 47, will you? Now look what happened. And during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from his own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea. And he said, stop measuring it because we don't have any calculators that can keep record of it. Where was God? Question, where was God in all this? I mean, this is, here, here's a man who has Potiphar's credit card and his own luxury limousine and he has robes of regality and gold necklaces around his neck and the entire nation cannot raise its hand or foot without permission from him. Where is God in a man? I mean, could, 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 a, could a man possibly remember God with all of that? Where's God in his life? Let me show you where he is. Look at verse 50. Now before the year famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharo, priest of On, bore, bore to him. You know why he, he uses, he, he says this again? He, he uh, he repeats himself about this. He wants us to understand that this is a monogamous monogamous relationship, that, that Joseph is just, just has one wife and two sons were born to him. Now look, look what he named them. He named the firstborn son Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household and he named the second, Ephraim, plural ending, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, where was God in his life? Well, you can tell where God was by the names he gave his sons. Now, the name Manasseh, when, when you trace that root down, do a little uh, study on that root, it means God has taken the sting out of my memory. Oh, Feed on that just a little bit. For what was the memory of this, this man, this boy? He, he remembered the betrayal of his brothers, the, the casting into the dungeon, the, 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 the betrayal of Potiphar's wife, the forgetfulness of the servants there. You can't forget that. In fact, you can't forget anything. I mean, in these little creases in our brains or all of these things that have happened to us, but you can have the sting removed from the memory and God can do that, he said, and God has taken the sting out of the memory. Now, I know what some of you want to do tonight. It's what, you, what I want to do. I want to get back at the people who hurt me. I want to get revenge on those who have betrayed me. I want to give back what I've received. That's as normal as humanity itself. God, I tell you, can take the sting out of the memory. And the second son he named Ephraim, plural ending. It means that God has made me fruitful. He's made my life abundant. He named these boys names that that reflected his attitude toward God and he tagged them with names to remind him of all that God had done for him. So that every time he saw his boys, they reminded him of how he felt about God and what God had had done for him. That's where God was in his life. Now, Now follow with me. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, skip verse 54, so when all the land of Egypt was famished, the, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Now what happened? He opened up the store. He had the key to the storehouse and he opened up this storehouse and allowed the people, he didn't hoard it up, to have the grain. I thank God tonight. I'm grateful for the people that God has blessed who have opened up their hearts and their wallets and their power to give to ministry. Now, now skip verse 54 on purpose. Notice in verse 54 that he never took advantage of his authority. You know what it says? And the seven years of famine begin to come Joseph had, just as Joseph had said, Then there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. He never took advantage of his authority. Now on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing? I want you to believe tonight that some of the choice saints of God in the family of God are those who are most greatly blessed. Now, there are three applications. I'll give you these and I'll quit. Three applications. Number one, lengthy, lengthy afflictions need not discourage us. Lengthy aff- afflictions need not discourage us. Now, he left home when he was 17 the bottom fell out of his life. It's, he's now 30. Now, I've tried to add that up. It's about 13 or 14, somewhere along in there. Uh, Knox County, Monday, Texas math. I mean, 13, 14 years he suffered affliction. I mean, he he had the worst of the worst. And I challenge you, I, I ask you, you find one time, one place where there was one hint of discouragement in this young man's life, and I'll eat it. Oh, I know there's one place. Just, just it might have been when he asked that, that uh, chief, that cupbearer, that uh, t- food taster down in the in the dungeon to remember him when he got out of there. That might have been a time when he was a little bit discouraged. But I don't really think that's even a place. I don't find in the. Th- 14 years of this boy's suffering, one hint of discouragement. Let me tell you something. You can live above your circumstances. You can live above your circumstances if God is in the right place in your life. If you put God in the right place in your life, you can live above circumstances. Lengthy afflictions need not discourage us. Secondly, bad memories need not defeat us. I've got some. I have some bad, some bad memories. Some for which I am responsible and some for which others are responsible. If you'd like to linger around tonight, I'll give you some names and you can, you can Curse them too. I mean, you can I'm kidding. Some that others are responsible for. Let, Let me show you something. Watch this. It doesn't matter what the memory is. You are the one who chooses. You have the choice as to what will hold you captive. You decide who's going to make you depressed. You're the one responsible for your happiness or your depression. Bad memories need not defeat us. Third, great blessings need not disqualify us. Often, blessings come and, and and people discriminate, and, and blessings come, and we forget the Lord, and we become ungrateful, etc. They need not disqualify us. Let me ask you a question: Are you uh, are you Phi Beta Kappa, and uh, and uh, most likely to succeed, and use your name in the blue book, and and uh, are you one of uh, five uh, most uh, uh, most outstanding young man or woman in Oklahoma. Are you one of those? I, I got some news for you. God can still use you. It, it's just going to be a little more difficult you know, for Him to use you if you're that way because God likes to use the weak things. He, he likes to use the base things. Because in the weak things, in the base things, as I said this morning, he gets all the glory, see? But great success does not disqualify you if you just remember where you got it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this great lesson tonight from the life of Joseph. Help us, Lord, to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice as well as weep with those who weep. To perfectly identify with others as brothers. To not be jealous and envious of other success. But to be glad, to know that what success others have is success we ourselves enjoy because we're brothers, sisters. We thank you for the great fellowship of the church makes us one family of God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Now, in the spirit of prayer, these are our invitations. first invitation is for you to receive Christ as your personal Savior. I may be speaking to some tonight who have never invited Christ into his life or her life. You've heard about it. You may have seen others who have trusted Christ and you know how they came to know the Lord and the change that Jesus made and you can have that same experience of salvation if you just repent of your sin that means to turn around to turn away from the old life and turn toward Jesus Christ in faith trusting Jesus and Jesus alone to be your Savior ask him to save you from your sin to come into your heart to be to you your your Savior come and receive his gift of eternal life, which means life from God forever. The second invitation is for Christian people to respond to the church or church membership or to walk with the Lord in a deeper and closer way. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come right quick.